our code is that we pursue growth and learning. We don't accept the status quo. We don't get stuck voluntarily and we actively pursue growth and learning. And I play by those same rules. And one of the things I do to pursue growth and learning is I listen to other preachers. It'd be a very sorry day if the only preaching I ever listened to each week was 30 minutes of my own voice week in, week out, because I wouldn't grow because I already know what I'm preaching about. And so I actively listen. And by the way, listening to other preachers and leaders is easier than ever in the history of the world. It's a thing called podcasts. You don't need any money. You need, a, you need a device. Most of you have that. You don't need to travel anywhere. And, uh, and so I devour podcasts. Uh, I, I have them playing when I'm doing the dishes every day. <laughs> when I'm training, commuting, you know, there's opportunities where you can fill some dead space and uh, grow and listen to God's Word. So one of the preachers I listen to regularly is a, a guy named Stephen Furtick. And Stephen Furtick leads a church called Elevation Church, not to be confused with Elevate Church, Elevation Church. And uh, I was listening at the beginning of the year to uh, the beginning of a series that he was teaching. And um, he's a great preacher. I mean, I'm like half out of 10 and he's like 11 out of 10. And uh, listening to him, and, he's, and, he, and he was starting this message, and he shared a story about, you now his church, they run a worship, what they call a worship experience, starting on a Saturday night, it's their first one, then they go Sunday morning the following day. So he was getting ready, Saturday afternoon, uh, at home, physically getting ready, and, and he thought he'd put some YouTube stuff on in the background, just to play in the background, some YouTube preaching, teaching, just to have that going while he's getting ready. And... Um, YouTube, because uh, it's owned by Google, and Google likes to know everything about you, whether you like it or not, which is why I don't use any Google products. Um, Google on YouTube, and so they have an algorithm where, where you, you put a video on, but they also know your history, and so in the right-hand column, at the top it says, up next. And you don't get to choose what's up next, they tell you what's up next, and you know, it just keeps endlessly scrolling if you let it. And so Stephen Furtick's getting ready, and up next, this, this video starts playing. And it's this, it's this very famous theologian, this Bible teacher uh, speaking. And so uh, Stephen Furtick had recalled how he had to study this particular theologian's books in Bible college, a very well-known theologian. And he was teaching at a, at a pastors and leaders conference. And towards the end of the session, they, they did a lightning round where people from the crowd could, could yell out a question to the, this theologian and, he, and he'd answer it. And someone from the crowd yelled out, what do you think of Stephen Furtick? And Stephen Furtick is getting ready. He, he thinks to himself, huh, I wonder if this guy whose books I studied at Bible college has even heard of me. And he said, upon being asked the question from the crowd, this famous theologian, Stephen Furtick went to, to look at his computer screen to see what was gonna happen next, did this. It gets your attention when just the mention of your name causes someone to go involuntarily. <sighs> now, let me just insert into the story, by the way, this theologian has never met Stephen Furtick. When someone asks you, what do you think of someone you don't know? The actual correct answer is, I don't know them. Full stop. 
How could you possibly have accurate opinions on someone that you don't know? But not everyone plays by those rules. So this theologian went, and after a pause, he answered the question with one very simple word, unqualified. Stephen Furtick thought to himself, he leads a church, one of the fastest growing churches in the earth, thought to himself, buddy, you don't know the half of it. (laughs) Because actually we're all unqualified in the eyes of the world. In fact, even in our own eyes sometimes. And it sparked the inspiration for Stephen Furtick. Some of you know him from a book he wrote that we've taught from called Crash the Chatterbox. It sparked the inspiration for him to write a book called Unqualified. How God uses broken people to do big things. And I like that when this came out from the publishers that Stephen Furtick wrote a little message in the cover and posted it to this world famous theologian and said, thanks for the inspo. (laughs) Gotta have a bit of sass, Jess. Where's J-Mac? I'm gonna give you a copy of this book because I believe that God's got so much more in you and He doesn't want you to crop yourself out of any of that. So you read that and let God speak to you whatever He wants to say about that, all right? So this, this book has been the inspo for this series that we're launching today. It's gonna to run over the next three weeks, but actually this series wasn't on our calendar four weeks ago. And four weeks ago, I, I kind of, you know, said, okay, God. God, I felt had been for several months leading up to four weeks ago, had a verse, something that Paul wrote running around in my head, just on endless loop about you guys. And the verse is this, and I, I, you know I love you, don't take this the wrong way, let me unpack the whole message. But Paul wrote this to the church in Rome. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. There's, there's a sense we bolded. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. This was a smackdown to prideful, arrogant people. And like you, I don't like prideful, arrogant people either. Nor did Paul and, and, and seemingly in Rome, typical Italians, prideful and arrogant. They needed a smackdown. So he said to them, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But the reason that God had been spinning that verse around in my brain for months leading up to four weeks ago is actually, we don't have that problem bubbling to the surface here at Elevate. In fact, my observation, and it's observation, not criticism, is too many of you think too little of yourselves. And because you think too little of yourselves and are filled with self-doubt, you've cropped yourself out of doing some of the things God's called you to do because you have asked yourself the question, have I got what it takes? And so over these next three weeks, I wanna teach from this and I'm actually not gonna teach from the book. I'm gonna teach a parallel to the book. So don't think that because you've heard three weeks of teaching over the next three weeks, you shouldn't read the book. You should read the book and it'll complement and I believe God will speak to you. If you've ever asked the question, 
Do I have what it takes? You've felt God called you to something in your life, but then you looked at your pathetic bank account and you cropped yourself out. You wondered if there was a sense of destiny and purpose and a reason why God put you on this earth right here, right now, and then you looked in the mirror and thought, and you've cropped yourself out because you didn't think you had what it takes. You have a sense of God's calling for the future, but then you glance over your shoulder and look at your past and wonder how could God ever use somebody that's done what I've done or had done to me what's been done to me. I want you to notice the byline for this book and this series. It's not a question. We're not gonna ask the question, can God use broken people to do big things? This is not an if series. I want us to move past if into how. Can you see that? This is not a question of if. God does use broken people to do big things. The question we're gonna be asking over this next three weeks is how. And one of the lids in your life is if you can't get past the if question. And I'm gonna show you that, that, that the if has been answered. And the answer is, yes, God does use broken people. Let's have a look how to do big things. So open the Elevate app. We've tinkered with the Bible uh, section in there. We've won the turf war. And uh, the Bible section is more functional than ever. It'll zip you to something that Paul wrote. Paul's getting a lot of airplay today and you're probably about to see why. So Paul had, had launched churches in various parts of the world. One of them is a place in, called Corinth in, in Greece. He launched a church and, um, and he'd heard some things that they were saying about him as a leader, because he wasn't there, he launched it and then he would, he would raise up someone else to lead it locally. He'd go on and launch other churches. And uh, he heard some of, he got some feedback, some of the chatter that was coming from this church in Corinth. So he wrote to them uh, uh, some correction. It's part of the job description when you're a leader. Sometimes you need to, to, to issue some correction. And he, and he quoted something that he'd heard that they were saying about him. And they were, they were saying about Paul, his letters... Letters that he wrote, his letters are brawny and potent, but in person, he's a weakling and mumbles when he talks. See, one of the things to understand about Paul is Paul was incredibly gifted. He was incredibly intelligent. He was, he was a, a, a well-trained in philosophy and theology. He'd studied under the best in the business he was a Roman citizen at the time, which being a Roman citizen afforded you access to parts of the, of the, of the Roman Republic that, that non-citizens couldn't even get to. And so it's no surprise that God used him, his intellect, his gifts, his citizenship to launch churches in, in such uh, incredible cities and, and globally influential cities like Rome and, and Athens and, and Corinth. And so he'd been doing all these incredible things, incredibly gifted. And right now, when he wrote this letter uh, to, the, to the church in Corinth, Paul was actually at the pinnacle of his ministry effectiveness. Top of the tree. And yet even then, 
he was having to answer the question that other people, in this case, were asking of him. Paul, do you have what it takes? And some of you, you thought that question was gonna go away, that you were gonna answer it and yet it keeps popping up. You thought that when you graduated university, because some of you told you, that, told you that you weren't smart enough to even get to university, university let alone graduate, and you graduated and you thought, yeah, I show you, I, I show you I got it what it takes. And then sometime down the road, you find yourself asking the same question under different circumstances. Do I have what it takes? Some of you thought that question would go away when you turned 40 and were earning the six figure salary. And yet you turn up to work every day feeling like you've still got to defend the question. Do I have what it takes? Some of you, thought when you got married and said to your spouse the words of Dr. Evil to Mini-Me, you complete me, which by the way is complete bulldust. If you say that and you think that's what marriage does, you're in for a very, very rude awakening. You say you complicate me. That's what, it's, it's actually the truth. Some of you will thank me for that tip. You thought when you got married that you no longer had to ask the question, do I have what it takes? And yet you got married and all of a sudden that question was popping up like weeds in the middle of winter. So Paul was at the pinnacle of his ministry effectiveness and he's still dealing with people that were calling him unqualified. And I'm glad that Paul understood that his calling was way too important to leave Issues unaddressed. What's God calling you to? Because whatever it is, it's too important to leave questions unaddressed. Some of you have cropped yourself out of doing big things for God because of what other people have said to you in the past. And you've ruled yourself unqualified. Some of you have cropped yourself out because of what the devil, the chatterbox has been saying to you and maybe is currently saying to you about why you, you, you <laughs> couldn't possibly do big things for God. Some of you have cropped yourself out because of what you say to you. <laughs> Self-talk about why you couldn't do big things for God. And what God's called you to is to important to leave those issues unaddressed. The good news is that you are unqualified. In fact, the good news is you join a pretty prestigious club, which we're gonna call Club Unqualified. The open video showed you some of them. I'm gonna rattle off a few more. These are some of the all-stars in the history of faith that God has used to do big things. And here is why all of them were unqualified. Here's some highlights from their CV. Zuh. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi. <laughs> Joseph was abused as a child. Moses had a st st stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair. <laughs> Reese, we all know 
God can't possibly use men with long hair. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. I work very, very hard to prepare messages week in, week out that get your attention and keep your attention, but ain't no way I'm ever gonna get up here naked. (laughs) Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Jesus. The disciples couldn't stay awake while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced five times. Zacchaeus was too small. Timothy had an ulcer and Lazarus was dead. (laughs) All of these things made those people unqualified, but it didn't make them disqualified. Because all of us have a glitch. All of us have got something wrong. We're all broken. Because we're all broken, we're all unqualified, but we're not disqualified. And that's the critical difference. So I thought I'd take some time this morning to talk about my glitches. How long you got? And where should I start? Louis, suggestions? All right, maybe we can tag team. You can tell, I'll tell one of my glitches and then you can tell one of my glitches. Don't laugh, Jared, you're next. Just kidding. I, I, <laughs> it was hard for me to choose one, actually, because <laughs> I got a few. I'll tell you the one that got me stuck the most, and I've shared pieces of this previously. Some of you are aware a little bit of this. But up to about 15 years ago, I had literally the shortest fuse of anybody I know, and, and, and I knew a lot of people. The shortest fuse and the wildest temper of anybody. Seven billion people on the planet, number one. Shortest fuse, it it would take me a nanosecond to get frustrated with people to the point of nuclear grade explosion temper. I would light up at people, not not in a Zippo light up kind of way, in a flamethrower kind of way. And and I would do that uh, all the time. I used this flamethrower to scorch the first five years of our marriage. Louis and I had been married for 18 years. People ask, how long have you been married? I say, uh, married for 18 years, happily for 13. The first five years, I scorched our marriage with this flamethrower temper that I had. I scorched people who trusted me as a leader and attempted to follow me and I would just scorch them with this short fuse and wild temper. To quote my good friend Renati, sometimes when things in your life aren't working, you gotta check yourself before you wreck yourself. And, because when something's broken, You can just flip the bird at the world and say, this is how I am, take it or leave it. And here's what happens. Good people eventually leave it. 
Not everyone, the knuckleheads will hang around. Misery loves company. But the good people in your world, the people that will link arms with you to do big things for God, they ain't gonna stick around because ain't nobody got time for that. And, and, and so I had to change my approach. So here's what I did. My glitch was so obvious and so destructive that I had to change my approach. The first thing I did was not turn on Dr. Phil. The first thing I did was open my Bible. What has God got for me? Give me a gift, God. Help me here. Throw me a bone. I got a short fuse. I don't know if it's nature or nurture. I don't know, both. I don't know, whatever, however it got here, it's here. Problem isn't how it got here, the problem is here. And it's destructive. And it's not destroying, just destroying other people, it's destroying what God's called me to do because I'm actually burning opportunities when I'm burning relationships. So I opened my Bible. Bible's pretty helpful when you read it and, and apply it. And there's a couple of things that Paul, that guy again, wrote. And he wrote one thing to a young protege that he'd put in charge of one of the churches he launched, a little dude named Timothy. And he said to him, for God didn't give us a spirit of fear. Because by the way, sometimes anger is birthed out of fear. You feel the need to control everything and everyone. And if they don't bend to your will, you just scorch them. Don't work. God didn't give us that spirit of fear. And by the way, in another translation, it says timidity. And I could have talked about my glitch of how I used to be embarrassingly shy until I got a revelation that God couldn't use me if I just sat in a shoebox 24-7, 365. But that's another glitch for another day. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. This self-control, it might sound like a little self-helpish Tony Robbins kind of thing. It's not. It's, it's acknowledging that God's Holy Spirit works in us and the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead can actually take the lead role in every single circumstance in our life, including things that frustrate us. And so anger doesn't have to be the solution. The other person doesn't have to take control. The circumstances don't have to rule how you respond. Paul, same guy, a lot of airplay today, wrote a very similar thing to the church in Galatia. He said, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he'll produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and there it is again, self-control. And so I got these verses, these two, and I just had to put them on endless loop. I had to start to reprogram the glitch. Come back to that. I went out looking for some books, books that would help me deal with the people that frustrated me. And uh, I put up on the screen, and this isn't a, I've, got the, I've had these for, for 15 years. Um, I, I'm not putting these up to say that you should buy these books, although if you've got issues with people and, and tempers or a low relational intelligence or you, get, you find other people taking control and you can't, these might be great books for you, but, but whether these are, these are the books for your glitch, there's some books out there, whatever your glitch is, that are gonna help you. And I wanna tell you in a world of, of Instagram and 140 character Twitter quotes and Facebook posts, don't just go there for stuff that's gonna help you change your approach. Don't let the only book you read be Facebook. Read books that God's gonna actually use to give you some tools, because I needed some tools. I knew I wanted to change my approach. I didn't know how. And so these three books, How to Get Along with Difficult People. If you don't have any difficult people in your world, it's probably because you are the difficult person in your world. 
and everyone else is reading this book. Caring enough to confront. I grew up in a family where if you had issues, you swept them under the carpet and that was meant to help and, and, and they went away. They didn't went away, they just made the carpet lumpy. And then they'd come back out bigger and badder than ever and more destructive than ever. So that was helpful for me and how to get along with almost anyone. Now, I'm not suggesting I'm perfect at this by any stretch of the imagination, but this is about us recognising we have a glitch and realising that it makes us unqualified, but not disqualified. Having said that, unworked weaknesses will ultimately disqualify you. They'll become your lid. You'll paint yourself into a corner. The train will leave the station and God will use other people to things He'd actually previously called you to. Because His plans and purposes will be done whether you wanna be used by Him or not. I prefer to be on the team than in the bleachers when the final whistle sounds. And I also sought out people, friends of mine who are great interpersonal communicators. And you know what, I'd ask them two questions. Do you ever get frustrated? Because on the surface, it seemed like they didn't. I looked for people that were, that were like Mr. and Mrs. Cool, Calm and Collected. Friends of mine, I say, just out of curiosity, do you ever get frustrated? Because I don't ever see it. And they're like, <laughs> do I ever get frustrated? If you're, a, if you're a leader, you live in a perpetual state of frustration. So then I ask the second question, right, how do you process that? And, and they would tell me, and I'm not gonna, see, I, I'm not unpacking all of this was my glitch, but I'm telling you that there's a need to, to change your approach. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Now, is it working? You might ask. Well, about five years ago, I finished preaching. And uh, when you've got a headset, you can't do mic drop like Obama. I gotta give it back to the media team. So I, so I finished preaching and I, and, I, and I was walking down here to go to the desk. And um, out of my peripheral vision, this, this guy was, was, who'd been sitting in that far section over there, had, had, he was looping around he was going down the back there, and, and I knew he was coming for me, like a scud missile. And, and this person, they were uh, uh, in a retired uh, uh, era of life, and that's not a criticism, that's just an observation. And, and I didn't know them very well. We'd barely spoken at that point. Uh, but by way of other trusted people who'd warned me about this individual, I knew that they personified that you can grow old without ever growing up. And unfortunately, they intercepted me before I got to the media team. And, and, and they said to me, they, they, they just did away with the, hi Mark, how are you? How's your family? How's your wife? How's life? How's it going? You know, manners, um, unnecessary seemingly for them. And, um, and they said to me, got way up in my grill, and this was their, their, their first and only statement. Mark, now I'd been leading the church for about a year by that stage, and we'd started a transition. Mark, I know what you're trying to do, and it's not gonna work. Now, 15 years prior to today, 10 years prior to that incident, you probably would have had to call the police because I would have started my response. But it wouldn't have been a response, it would have been a reaction and it would have been ugly. 
very ugly. Verbally ugly, maybe physically ugly. I don't mind taking on 70-year-old men. I got an advantage, it's called not arthritic yet. And um, <laughs> Mark, I know what you're trying to do, which by the way, when you try to guess what people are trying to do rather than just like asking them, you're almost always wrong, especially if you don't know them. Is that just stating the obvious? Sometimes I think that's just my job. Pay me just to stand up here and state the obvious for 25, 30 minutes. Obviously, Brett, you need to shut up. Um, Mark, I know what you're trying to do, and it's not going to work. And when, when you put yourself on the front line, and, and whether it's leading a church or wherever it is that God's called you to do, you are going to get criticism. And it's by people that typically don't ask questions. And how you respond is important. So anyway, make a, as Louis' grandmother says, to make a shorter story long, but, but she does mean it the other way around. Um, I, just, I, just, I just looked at him, gave him the loving poker face. This is my loving poker face. And just kept walking. Did my mic drop? Got some coffee. Not every comment deserves a response. But 15 years prior from today, it would have been brutal. Brutal. It wasn't my job to control that person. They left the church soon after, and you know, I drove them out, gave them a dinky on my Vespa to off the property. <laughs> no, I didn't. Jordan May, sitting here, front and center, front row's free, by the way, uh, sitting there. Jordan and I have known each other for about 15 years. And about a month ago, Jordan was over my house and, and we're just having a coaching conversation, doing life. And, and I was telling him about this glitch. He's known me for 15 years. Interesting timing from when I started to change my approach. And I shared the backstory about my temper and my short fuse and how I needed to change my approach and how the way you are doesn't have to be the way you have to be and how you can actually reprogram the glitch. And he said, wow, I've known you. His mum was my PA. Talk about somebody that got to look behind the curtain. I've never once seen that side of you, of the short fuse and the wild temper. And I said to him, you need to thank God that you didn't, but I thank God that that, has been demonstrated to somebody else. Now, understand my frustration is actually greater than it's ever been because the clock's ticking. Hell is hot and time is short. And so I get frustrated more than ever before, but I don't respond and the glitch is still there, but I'm not ruled by the glitch and I'm certainly not disqualified by the glitch. So what's your glitch? It doesn't disqualify you unless you don't work on it. It will make you unqualified. So here's Paul, he's cupping some stick. His letters are brawny and potent, but in person he's a weakling and mumbles when he talks. Unimpressive. And you know it bothers him because actually this is chapter 10 in the very next chapter, which in the original would just be the same letter, continues writing, he, he, he hits it again. It seems that, Listen, it seems that if someone just shows up preaching quite another Jesus than we preached, different spirit, different message, you put up with him quite nicely. 
But if you put up with those big shot apostles, preachers, why can't you put up with simple me? I'm as good as they are. I'm qualified. It's true I don't have their voice. Haven't mastered that smooth eloquence that impresses you so much. But when I do open my mouth, at least I know what I'm talking about. This is the guy that wrote 23% of the New Testament, having to defend himself when people asking him the question, are you qualified? He was incredibly gifted. He had a glitch. In person, however, he was unimpressive. And here's the problem. It's a problem then, it's a problem still. Your mum told you not to do it, but you do it anyway. We judge books by their cover. We judge movies by their Netflix rating. Yeah? We judge people by the outside when God all the time looks at what's on the inside. And, and, we, and we consider some people disqualified just because of what we see on the outside. Paul, as a preacher, unimpressive. Around the same time, there was a guy named Apollos. Apollos was an impressive preacher, great orator. And in fact, this situation got so chronic that, that some of the people in the early church actually decided to, to form camps, like metaphorical camps, where some people would say, I'm for Paul, Paul's my man. And others would say, Paul, you heard that guy preach? Unimpressive. I'm for Apollos. Man, that guy can rip it up. Give him a microphone, boom, mic drop at the end of that. Incredible. Now, of course, by the way, don't follow Paul, don't follow Apollos, follow Jesus. But people made the mistake and it was based on these external appearances. Well, BibleGateway.com is the web desktop browser that I use when I'm preparing messages because you can easily flip between versions and copy paste and do all that sort of thing. Bible Gateway, because it's digital, they can track what people search for within the Bible, within their Bible website. In 2014, they released their top 10 most searched Bible verses for the year, right? Let me give you four, not just of the top 10, four of the top six, because four of the top six most searched for Bible verses in 2014 were written by Paul. You might even heard of some of them. Do not, number one, the most searched for Bible verse Written by Paul, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. You can renew your mind. You can reprogram the glitch. The number two most searched for, Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Verse 6. Number three on the list, do not be anxious about anything. Anxiety and worry and fear is a, is a growing epidemic in our Western culture. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Philippians 4, 7, these are back to back. Paul was on a bit of a roll when he wrote this, can't you see? Verse six, verse seven, verse eight, four of the top six most searched for in 2014. And a peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is Paul, y'all, writing this stuff. It's good stuff. People are watching, reading it today, benefiting from today, searching for it today. Uh, and there's some other that, that you might recognise. The wedding verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses four to 13. The wedding verse, love is patient, love is kind. Anyone, anyone familiar with that? Anyone, does that ring true? Do you know it wasn't written for weddings? Do you know it was written for church, a church that was infighting? 
You read verse 12, I mean, chapter 12, the church is at war with each other. You read chapter 14, in other words, the bookends of, of, the, of the wedding, not the wedding singer, the wedding verse. I know some of you are thinking that. You read, the, they were fighting against each other and Paul had to get in between them and write chapter 13 and say, that's not how you do this. Jesus said, they will know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another and yet you're becoming known for the fighting you have within your ranks. Who'd wanna sign up for that? So here's what I'm gonna tell you. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. And you can read the rest for yourself. Paul wrote that, it's good stuff. He wrote this one, this is the bumper sticker. Verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see that above the squat rack or the bench press rack in some gyms in America. True story. Be able to work on the beach muscles, need a bit of inspo, boom. Philippians 4.13. All right, new PB, max bench press. Or what about this one? Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. One of my life verses. Now him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask for or imagine. That's Paul, y'all. And better call Saul, better call Paul. Does anyone recognise any of those verses I just quickly rattled off? Anyone, anyone? Okay, has anyone read anything that Apollos wrote? Ever been in, in, a, in front of a squat rack and there's a quote from Apollos, something Apollos wrote that 2,000 years later, people are still reading, searching, applying. Apollos, anyone? Huh? I gotta wonder if it wasn't Paul's glitch, unimpressive, as a speaker that caused him to put down the microphone and pick up the pen. and write what he wrote, 23% of the New Testament that you and, I, you and I hopefully are still reading today, hopefully are still applying today and hopefully are still benefiting from today. Paul, y'all. The glitch, not an impressive speaker, so I'm gonna put down the microphone and pick up the pen. And thankfully, his glitch didn't make him disqualified. And in fact, it's the glitch that keeps on giving. So you and I, we've all got a glitch, a few. And over these next three weeks, I wanna help you, and, and this is unquestionably God's timing for you, for us, to get a, a, a revelation that being unqualified isn't being disqualified and that the question isn't, can God use broken people, but simply how God uses broken people to do big things. Let me ask you one question before I drop the mic. Metaphorically. Some of you, the question you need to answer today is, is will you follow Jesus? Will you make a personal decision to say, Jesus, I wanna put my trust in you, I wanna put my faith in you, I wanna follow you. 
Some of you haven't made that decision and we're gonna give you an opportunity right here, right now to make that very decision. And all I want you to do in a moment, for those of you that you know that you need to make that decision today, you need to say, yes, Jesus, I wanna follow you. All I want you to do in a moment is put your hand up and say, yep, Jesus, that's me. I want in. I'm gonna take that next step and follow you. Once I see your hand, you can put it down, then we'll quickly pray. So just as I'm looking around right now, how about those of you that need to make that decision, put your hand up right now. And when I see your hand, you can put it down. I don't wanna miss anybody here. I don't want you to miss this opportunity.